0: This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome.
1: When we went to Uganda, which was incredible, the Bujigali Falls and Silverback and getting to ride these massive wave trains that were just like roller coasters and just pure ecstasy when you just launch off one of those waves. And I remember very distinctly... One morning for a morning workout, Lorenzo says, "Okay, kids, I'm gonna go take you for a run. We're gonna go see, we're gonna go see the rapid, which the rapid silverback is also the dam site. So, we're running a bunch of you know gangly <laughs> Mzungu teenagers, and we get to this spot and we're looking out, and then all of a sudden, these two guards come out with their rifles and they start." pointing them at us and pointing them at Lorenzo and saying, you can't be here, you know, this is restricted area. And Lorenzo's being like, they're kids man, don't do this. And they like take Lorenzo up to this cabin, up these endless stairs. Us teenagers, just you know, we were all just like, oh my God, Lorenzo's gonna die. It was just such a moment where we're like, what 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 do we do?
0: Today's episode comes to you from the life of one person and the stories and foundational exposures to rivers and world systems that have created the life that this person lives today. Haley Stewart is a river runner, a recent graduate of Oxford University, a presenter at TEDx, an attendee at the United Nations COP climate meetings, a linguistics translator, a founder of an international group opposing dams, a filmmaker a leader of jungle river expeditions, an activist fighting mega hydro dam projects, a high school teacher, and a class five kayaker. And she is only 28 years old. In this episode, Haley will explain how she was able to travel internationally as a high school student, learning to kayak, meeting humans from river cultures around the world, how she has continued to educate herself about rivers and river infrastructure, how she brings people together so, they may learn from their respective experiences about the damming of rivers. Please meet Haley Stewart.
1: My name is Haley Stewart. So, I'm a documentary filmmaker and I'm a river conservationist. And I would say I spend most of my time, most of my energy, working with communities who are fighting to defend their rivers, usually from mega hydroelectric projects and now also kind of moving into gold mining operations and, and other threats to rivers. I work for the nonprofit Rios to Rivers, which works to cultivate the next generation of river stewards. And I'm also the co-creator of a small organization, a small group called Amazonian River Allies that focuses mostly on rivers in Bolivia, in the Bolivian Amazon.
0: In looking at your resume that you sent me, but kind of your life bio, looking at your online presence and a short conversation ahead with you, you let me know that that you you weren't kayaking until kind of like middle high school time. Um so I'm curious about your life. If you could tell me about your life, your teenage life before you met kayaking, and then also how you did meet kayaking.
1: Yeah, totally. I you know, <laughs> I grew up in New York, so just outside, Westchester, New York, so just outside New York City. I was going to public school in, in New York. I, I remember at that time I was feeling a lot of pent-up energy. From the time we moved to New York when I was five, I always felt that it really wasn't the right soil for me to grow in. Growing up, I was always really connected to nature. Really, I, I was a really spiritual kid and was always connected to nature and animals. I loved animals and, you know, would collect rocks and loved climbing trees. And I still remember the culture shock of moving to New York when I was five. And I think it really became apparent to me in high school when, you know, you start asking kids like, okay, what is it you wanna, where do you wanna go after high school? And all my friends said, oh, I wanna go to New York City. And that was just the last place I wanted to go i was like i want to go to the himalayas like i want to go you know i want to go to a buddhist monastery i want to go travel i want to go see the world and experience and and feel and i remember a lot of my friends were you know getting into drugs and alcohol particularly pharmaceuticals and i remember just this feeling of like you know we're at this age where we have so much potential so much energy and are so At a point where you want to push your boundaries and you want to push your limits and but I just remember feeling this this sense of like god I just feel like I'm wasting my youth or I could be doing so much more and I feel like with our culture we're not allowed to start our lives until oh you go off to college sometimes even after you graduate college you know you're not really allowed to do what you want to do so at that time actually I think my You know, my parents, my aunt and uncle probably saw that I was uh, just not happy where I was. My cousin told me about this school, New River Academy, where you get to kayak and travel and see new cultures and learn Spanish and be outside and go camping. And I was like, what? I don't know what kayaking is, but like (laughs) the rest of it sounds incredible. And just being with the river, I, I, I was really, really fortunate to be supported by my parents be supported by my grandparents who made this a possibility for me and not just financially made it a possibility but who really encouraged me to go do it go take risks and and i think particularly as a woman growing up and having family that encourage you like oh climb the tree as high as you can oh you know Go to see how far you can go. How fast can you go? How strong are you? How much can you pick? You know, just being pushed to take risks and find my own limits was a huge, huge privilege. And ended up going to a summer camp, the Ottawa Kayak School on the Ottawa.
0: Haley just mentioned two schools, the New River Academy and the Ottawa Kayak School. We will come back to the New River Academy very soon. The Ottawa Kayak School is on the Ottawa River in Ontario, Canada. And this river hosts rapids from Class 2 to Class 4. The Ottawa Kayak School is one of the great kayak schools where young folks can go to gain and enhance their paddle skills and knowledge of river currents. You can find links to the Ottawa Kayak School in today's show notes. And if you have not seen the Ottawa River, check out some videos and pics. And in the next segment, you will hear Haley refer to keeners. I had to look this up. Keeners are young paddlers, pre-teen and teenage years who are keen about kayaking. Keener programs focus on developing these young, keen paddlers into high-level competition kayakers or to become professionals in the river kayaking path. And in addition to paddle skills, they are taught first aid, CPR, and swift water rescue. Keeners, kids keen on kayaking. Jack's Plastic Welding is sponsoring today's episode. Jack's Plastic has several boats on significant discount, These are boats with small blemishes, and all of these discounted boats carry a full warranty from Jack's Plastic. They have whitewater cat tubes, expedition cat tubes, and a small raft for one person that can get down about 200 CFS. Prices do not include shipping. There's a link in today's show notes taking you directly to these boats. You can also click on Discounted on their homepage and see the boats. Jack's Plastic Welding is where I have gotten my cat tubes, my dry bags, and my Paco pads for the past 15 years you can find them on the web at www.jpwinc.com that is www.jpwinc.com tell them the river radius sent you
1: and just being blown away by the garberator rapid and watching all the keeners surf that and just i remember the first time i saw them all lined up in the eddy and then i saw someone get on the the wave. And I was like, that's impossible. No way. That's like the most badass thing. I could never, I could never do that. You know, I could, that was a thought I could never do something like that, but also feeling this surge of adrenaline. Like I want to do that. (laughs) I want to do that. That is so cool. Look how calm they are. You know, everything's moving so fast and they're just staying still right in that wave and, and so calm. And then they're throwing tricks and then they're doing all these cool things. And it was just, it blew my mind away that that was a possibility that I would never have thought I could do. And then having it be presented as an achievable thing for me. Um, So that, that was huge. And mind you, I'm still terrified of the sport, you know, flipping over, going into a pour over or spending a long time underwater. But, but more so than the sport, the community that was so clear, that so clearly, you know, had everything to do with, with, these paddle sports, this community that was so unique and unique in the way of people trusting each other with their lives, and forming these really supportive, tight knit groups, and um, the kayaking and river community is incredibly unique, incredibly strong. The the trust level is so huge. The encouragement and the ability to overcome things and the will to go on adventures and also this positive attitude you have to have when things go wrong i think it's super unique and super and meshing you know it really brings people just so strongly together in so many ways so so after that summer camp i i was pretty sold (laughs) i was like i really want to keep doing this and so i decided to go to new river academy and that was the best decision I ever made. I just remembered, I, I can't even use words. I was just so, every day I felt like this is the best day of my life. No, this is the best day of my life. No, this is the best day of my life. So it was just a, another another world going to New River Academy for sure.
0: So New River Academy also, I, I guess it merges eventually and becomes just only known as World Class Academy can you Can you explain i mean so you're you're talking about world class, but can you just kind of give the basics of what this means like that you're you're a teenager you're in school, but you're traveling speaking spanish kayaking can you can you break that down in real basic terms?
1: yeah, so there were two sister schools you know there was world class academy, which was kind of the west Coast school, there was New River Academy on the East Coast, but they're the same concept, and that is a traveling boarding high school for kayakers so you would travel somewhere, say you go to Chile, and you might be housed up in in a hostel, you might be camping somewhere on the river, and then during the day you have your classes, English, math, science, Spanish, whatever, just like any other school. And then after school, just like you would soccer or football practice, you go whitewater kayaking and the whole school goes, and it's a small school, so it's about 15 to 20 students And five to seven teachers. And your teachers travel with you. And they're not just your teachers. They're pretty much your parents, (laughs) your mentors, your chauffeurs, your your role models, your inspiration. They're kind of everything for that program.
0: This is a very mobile school, meaning like you're not there's not a collective bus, it's not a collective plane. It's bags and kayaks, and you are in Mm -hmm. buses and vans and trucks and trains and planes.
1: So every quarter. Uh, you know, four quarters a year, you'll spend every quarter in probably a different corner of the world. So my two years, first quarter, we did Ottawa, Canada, and then went down to the Southeast, to West Virginia. Second quarter, Chile. Third quarter, we did Africa. We went to Uganda on the White Nile. And then fourth quarter, we were back in the Southeast, moving around the whole Southeast. And then my second year, we did Chile twice, which was great because you get different things, different seasons.
0: So I'm curious what it's like for you. Like, What was it like for you as this 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, whatever age, ages you were, to be hanging out with other kids who are like you? Your Your intelligence is being fostered by your teachers, by your peers, by your experiences, by getting involved with these different cultures, with rivers, with boats. And then on top of that, the real-world applications... Of some of these really enormous topics that, that many of us can barely grapple with um, today. I, I just talk talk about that a little bit. What that was like for your your development and like and just how you became who you are through that experience.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, totally. It. I mean, it, God, it was so huge. I think for me, it was just seeing like this different flow of life, where I was. Academically, I was performing way better than I was. I was way more motivated because everything we learned seemed really relevant, like Spanish, super relevant if you're traveling to to Chile, you know, environmental science. Everything we learned was we were seeing with our own eyes, you know, having classes outside was huge and just so special. You know, you just become so tight knit with this group where every single person has a place there and feels like they belong, even if they're super different, even if people don't get along on certain levels. And I think that's because of this trust that you are obligated to develop as a result of the kayaking sport, which has very real risk. You know, you have to be on top of safety. You have to watch each other's back. You always have to be looking out for people around you Um, and you're taking risks, very real risks together. And another thing that really drew me to it was I think we were 5 girls and and like 10 boys. So, you know, a ratio that at that age was actually kind of a relief to me. I didn't even realize like how much pressure was on us as young women in the school that I was at and and all of the eating disorders, you know, there were, eating disorders were really rampant. Uh body image was uh incredibly high pressure in high school and then to be like, Oh, I'm going to go someplace where it does not matter how I look. (laughs) You know, I'm not valued by how I look or behave in, in that way. I'm, I'm valued by how I am in this group and how, how much of a team player I am. And, you know, just my eagerness to do this sport and my positivity and optimism and excitement like that. Those are kind of the defining factors of character. So that was like a huge relief to me. Um, The first thing I noticed about myself after going even just the first quarter of going to this school was I stopped procrastinating. You know, when I went home for vacation, I was not procrastinating at all. I was like, oh, Oh, there's this thing that needs to be done. Let's do it today. Why would I wait till tomorrow? Oh, normally I would wait like a year (laughs) to do thank you cards or something. You know, whatever it was, I was like fed up with procrastination. And so that was a really positive change. But also I was just so much happier, so much happier. And I think that just goes so far. Being in a school too, where I was able to kind of work with the teachers in terms of like, oh, this is what I'm really interested in learning. Can we learn more about this? And then being really receptive to that was so cool and so motivating. I really don't know what I would be doing, where I would be if it wasn't for this school because this school really opened my eyes to the issues that are so important to me right now. It inspired me. All the teachers at New River Academy, they were my biggest heroes
0: we'll get to this later in the conversation about the the work you're doing today and how much of it is around hydropower and dams like the the mega dam systems to get ready for that part of the conversation i want to hear more about when you first were introduced to hydropower can you just tell me tell me about that experience or where was that what river um what was happening and and how did your how did the like the the exposure unfold your prior conceptions of hydropower.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2010, the first time I went to Chile, we started the quarter in the Maipo River Valley. My teacher, Lorenzo Estorga, he was telling me about this project. They're gonna take all the water that comes down, put it in a tunnel for 70 kilometers to generate electricity, and then put it back before it gets to the city, Santiago. But all of that valley is going to dry up. And there are endemic species that live in that valley that really depend on these very delicate ecosystems that are very niche. And not only that, you know, what this company isn't taking into account also is groundwater and the Napa Subterranias, the subterranean aquifer and springs. That whole system is going to be severely disrupted. And so this is going to send us into desertification. And now, 12 years later, it's been drought ever since. And so you can see that it is desertification. And then when we went to Uganda, which was incredible, and the most phenomenal rapids of my life, you know, going the Bujigali Falls and Silverback and getting to ride these massive wave trains that were just like roller coasters and just pure ecstasy when you just launch off one of those waves. And then knowing that 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 was about to be dammed and lost forever, and I remember very distinctly one morning for a morning workout. Lorenzo says, "Okay, kids, I'm gonna go take you for a run. We're gonna go see the dam. Site. We're gonna go see the rapid. You know, we're we're just gonna go scout the rapid from up high, which the rapid silverback is also the dam site. So we're running a bunch of gangly, <laughs> Mzungu teenagers, and we get to this spot and we're looking out, and then all of a sudden these two. Guards come out with their rifles and they start pointing them at us and pointing them at Lorenzo and saying, you can't be here. You know, this is restricted area. And it's like there's no signs, there's no anything. And Lorenzo's being like, man, like they're kids, man, don't do this. And they like take Lorenzo up to this cabin like up these endless stairs, watching them disappear up these stairs into this cabin. We were all just like, oh, my God, Lorenzo's going to die. It was just such a moment where we're like, what, what, what do we do? And, and then, you know, 15 minutes later, they come down like laughing. Lorenzo has his arms around them. You know, everything's fine. They're like bros now. But it really was like, we can't even look at this beautiful rapid that's about to be lost there's super high security here the government doesn't want photos of this damn site or of the work that they're doing here because they don't want it going to nat geo they don't want it expose to different platforms because it's very controversial leaving uganda and knowing that we were some of the last kayakers that were ever going to be able to paddle that section that incredible section and to know that a lot of the the communities and the people that we visited, their homes, would be displaced, too, and that kayaking is the main tourism to that region, that's going to go down, you know, people's livelihoods, who really didn't have a say in the matter, were going to be really impacted. It, it definitely broke my heart to, to leave knowing that and to also just realize that this was the same story that was happening in Chile. It's not just that, oh, this damn they're not doing it right, or this damn, you know, they're, it's like, oh, wow, this is systematic, this issue was, and how it was happening all over the world. And how it's also seemed to be affecting communities in very similar ways of dividing communities, where community says, oh, this is new, we've never seen this before, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, we don't know. But realizing like in the end, After all is said and done, the impacts on those communities, good and bad, is really well documented. And it's, at this point, very easy to predict what the benefits will be and what the impacts will be. And on communities, it seems that the negative impacts far outweigh the positive impacts of of these types of projects.
0: Before we move this episode from the early part of Haley's life into her adult life, I want to provide you with a bit of insight into my own editing for this episode. For many years in my life, I worked as a backcountry guide, taking teenagers on backpacking and river expeditions in the southwest United States, and then I taught public high school for many years at an incredible public school where I was able to hybridize standards-based education with experiential learning. All of those years of guide work and teaching clearly showed me that there is a lot of life lost for our kids when they are required to spend their youth indoors in a standard public school. To be certain, this is not a diss on teachers. I know teachers are the engines of schools and bring so much beauty to young lives. The teachers and staff in the schools are the best part of the schools, second only to the kids. My critique is of the bigger system of modern education that extends back to the mid-1800s, that in modern times is overbearing with expectations, and limits the latitude and creativity of the teachers and the students. When I learned of Haley's story, I believed it would only make sense if all of her story was shared. The teenage years and the traveling school years, learning to run rivers, that foundation supports the person Haley is today, and I believe the story only makes sense if you hear all of it. What I also heard from Haley is that she is immensely aware of the powerful and unique education she was provided and the privilege of that experience. And because of her experience, she wants to and is working to bring that same experience to other river communities today. So from what I understand, you graduate from World Class Academy, you finish high school, you go into college, uh, you go to, I think, Denver University. You actually become an instructor at World Class Academy. Uh, You're traveling the world, you're teaching. You present at TEDx in Idaho, which is fascinating to watch, to hear you speak on that topic. All those things happen all all of this other like post world class academy life college all these things happen eventually today you're now very connected to bolivia and doing work with bolivian people bolivian rivers you're based out of the pacific northwest in the united states you work for rios to rivers an amazing organization that we will learn more about this year on this podcast so let, let's go, let's get into Bolivia in this big section of your life. How did you get connected with Bolivia? Tell me about where you're connected to the landscape, the river, rivers, these people.
1: I first got connected with Bolivia because I actually studied abroad there in 2014. I did this incredible program called SIT School of International Training, and the program was about globalization and multiculturalism in Bolivia. So it was an incredible deep dive. And coming into Bolivia, which at the time was, and still probably is somewhat going through a bit of a civil rights movement with indigenous peoples. You know, at the time, Evo Morales, who was the first indigenous president, had recently come into power just like a couple of years before. And that was huge. And so that really led to a lot of our learning experience. At the end of this program, you have one month to do an independent study project. And I really wanted to do mine on dams, (laughs) naturally. But I couldn't find a, a single dam project in Bolivia. I was like, oh, they don't have dams. Okay. <laughs> and then we had one lecturer who who just mentioned casually in passing. He's like, oh, yeah, and the mining, the petroleum, the dams in the north. He's like, oh, yeah, there's like this dam, Cachuelo Esperanza, that's proposed in the north of Bolivia, right on the border of Brazil. So I went up there. felt like I was the only tourist in the whole north of Bolivia. It was so funny and a little sketchy at times, but was able to do that and able to talk to all of the experts which was really cool uh they're pretty accessible and so i would just i i showed up on the doorstep of someone who is now one of my dear friends but you know huge mentor for that project daniel robinson who's an agroecologist and i just showed up at his house and i was like hey can i interview you (laughs) you know in in the bolivian amazon Anyway, so did my project. That was also when I first got introduced to film. So it's all kind of, for me, everything's blended. Everything's connected. Every part of my life, whether it's rivers and teaching and kayaking and um, activism, indigenous communities, it's it's all been really uh, integrated for me. That program was also when I took a film class. Um, what was really cool about this independent study project was that they said... Pick a topic, pick any part of Bolivia, pick any way to present it, and here's $600, you have one month, go. And so I realized, huh, I could present in an essay, and two people will read it, and then it will go into this drawer forever, or I can make a video and share it with my friends, share it with my family, share it with anyone. So I made a short film on that, and then uh, that was that program, but I just kept in touch with my mentors and advisors after that and maybe a year or two later probably in 2016 i asked them you know what's what's the deal with the dam
0: what haley learns is that the dam project she made her first short film about was somewhat shelved and not a big concern at the time but a new dam was in the works a much bigger dam that would flood madidi national park in bolivia home of vast amazonian biodiversity the beni river has its headwaters in the andes mountains of bolivia Flows north, passing the capital city of La Paz, and eventually confluences with the Mamaray River, forming the Madeira River. The Beni is just shy of 700 miles in length and has an average flow of about 100,000 cfs. The Beni is an upper tributary of the Amazon River. At the time Haley learned about this, she was back in the States, going to school in Denver and, of course, kayaking. At the same time, in a kayak competition, Haley dislocated her shoulder and then worked through the lengthy recovery, but then dislocated the same shoulder again, this time needing shoulder surgery. Both of these recoveries together are lengthy and evoke life thoughts and longer view plans for Haley.
1: After that, realizing like, ah, I need surgery. Okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this surgery thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this seriously. I'm gonna take this recovery really seriously, and then after I recover, I'm gonna do something. Like I want to focus on this expedition stuff. I want to do films. I want to go down to Bolivia and do something about this dam that nobody knows about, and that it's just kind of starting to come on the radar, but seems pretty pretty sure to go from the government's point of view. So that whole year was just. Planning for this, talking to all these people about what they thought and for advice, and all the mentors I'd ever had, and talking to people down in Bolivia. And that's when I met Ruth, you know, this incredible, um, I don't even know how to describe her. She's an incredible presence. She's an indigenous leader, Uchupiamona woman who's fighting against the mega hydroelectric projects, the, the Chapete Bala mega hydroelectric projects in the Bolivian Amazon talking to her and saying like, oh it'd be incredible to interview her and to just and also she's someone who just has such an incredible incredible story of you know she left home when she was very young so that she could go to school because there was no school in her community she's the first woman in her community to go to high school and the first person in her community to go to college and she's someone who I mean she just doesn't stop she's she's really incredible so I was just very taken by her, which solidified my resolve to go down there and do something. And so I actually reached out to, you know, my teachers, Kira, Lorenzo, also my good friend, Caleb, and said, like, you know, would you guys be interested in coming down? And they were like, yeah, let's do it.
0: This crew of friends engages in the planning, and they quickly learn that the cost of filming in Madidi National Park is very expensive at $2,500 a day. So they develop a trade where these kayakers teach the National Park Rangers at Madidi National Park how to run rivers so the rangers can patrol and protect the rivers and National Park better. And in return, Haley and her crew can film and travel. They have to make some trades to borrow some rafts to carry the extra rangers and gear down the river. The trip scales up from four people going to paddle the river and make a two-minute film to 16 people, kayaks, river rafts, and a traditional raft made from balsa wood and tires.
1: We put most of the gear on this kind of floating balsa wood raft that was, you know, just basically like six inch tree trunks, a bunch of those in a row, and then tied all together with these tires on these frames. And it was, I mean, it it actually worked so well. It was really cool. We were down there for a month. It was really intense. You know, we had a lot of challenges as, as you can probably imagine. So you have cultural barriers, you have language barriers, you have political considerations. And and I think also just it was challenging because it was genuine collaboration. We weren't just going down and saying, we're going to run this, we're going to go you know, do this and, and show all the glory. It was really like, oh, okay, there's interest on a local level to be a part of this. Let's collaborate and really include these people and get them really excited about the river in a different way, too, because obviously they're really connected to the river. They're um, especially with park guards, like they're jungle people. We also brought representatives from different indigenous communities, and some of those communities, the only economic activity there is gold mining. What if we could get them really excited about the river?
0: After that river trip, Haley created a film from that journey in Madidi National Park. The film is called Still River, Silent Jungle and you can view this film online. I totally recommend watching it as it provides so much clarity to what this river looks like, the people, the story. It is 10 minutes long. You can search for it on the web by name, still River Silent Jungle, and there is a direct link to it in today's show notes. After producing and publishing that film, Haley decided to further her work to support the Bolivian River community. This would emerge as helping these people learn about river kayaking and river rafting and to learn about the impacts of dams. She wanted to help the people understand exactly what would happen to the river that was central to their life and lifestyle if it were taken away by a dam and a reservoir. Haley became connected with Rios to Rivers, which is a nonprofit based in the United States, and their Paddle Tribal Waters program. The mission of Rios to Rivers is to inspire the protection of rivers worldwide by investing in underserved and indigenous youth who are intimately connected to their local waters and support them in the development as the next generation of environmental stewards. After Haley is connected with Rios de Rivers, she begins organizing to lead a jungle trip in Bolivia down the Beni River again. This trip will be run with support from Rios de Rivers, will have participants from Bolivia and other river communities of South and North America. The intention will be to deepen each person's understanding of a free river compared to a dammed river with a reservoir. At the end of 2022, Rios to Rivers won the Nonprofit of the Year award from Kayak Sessions magazine. Weston Boyles is the founder and executive director of Rios to Rivers. I asked Haley to explain her relationship with Rios to Rivers and how this enhanced her work in Bolivia.
1: After that river trip, I got in touch with Weston. Weston's the founder director of Rios to Rivers. And uh, he said, this sounds amazing. You know, Rios to Rivers, we do projects in Chile and in the U.S. And we bring kids from Chile and the U.S. And we bring them together and bring them down rivers and rafting and kayaking and and show each other their cultures. And, and you can also jump in a time machine going to Chile and seeing what it's like to paddle a free river. Going to the U.S., what, is it, what are these dams really like? What What is it like to see a dam you know, when a dam is removed, like the Elwa Dam. And so they really go to these different places and see the different stages of, of uh, impacted rivers. And and he said, what if it'd be so cool if we did a, a project in Bolivia? And we, have you know, back in 2018, we were thinking, okay, yeah, like that could be a great idea. And we just kind of kept in touch. And then 2020, we said, okay, let's plan something for 2022. And so we just started planning from there and started with bringing a few people from Bolivia on Rios to Rivers exchanges in Chile and in the US. And so kind of felt really empowered to be able to run with that and work with my friends and collaborators in Bolivia and say like, what would, you know, what would serve you guys the most? What would kind of, what would your your dream program be? And, and what you know this is kind of what we've done in the past how would you do it you know especially with what you've seen in rivers to rivers
0: jack's plastic welding has been hand building boats paco pads and dry bags in the united states since last century jack's plastic welding has several boats on extra large discount these are boats with small blemishes and all of these discounted boats carry a full warranty from jack's plastic They have whitewater cat tubes, expedition cat tubes, and a small raft for one person that can get down about 200 CFS. Prices do not include shipping. There is a link in today's show notes taking you directly to these boats. You can also click on Discounted on their homepage and see the boats there. You can find them on the web at www.jpwinc.com. JPWINC.com. Tell them the River Radius sent you. There are many layers to the complications of dams being built in many places around the world, and in this case specifically in Bolivia. One of the problems is the communication and information delivery given to the river communities who will be impacted by the dam and new reservoir. Bolivia is a country that has 36 indigenous tribal nations and is about the size of California, Oregon, and Nevada combined. Bolivian law protects these indigenous nations, and yet that protection can be sidestepped to gain access to the rivers so the dams can be built. Here, Haley explains with more details about the river at risk and how the indigenous nations learn about the dam projects.
1: The Beni River is where the dams, the Chapete and Bala dams, it's two dams, would be placed in the Bolivian Amazon there are other dam projects proposed in the country as well. Rositas, the Cachuelo Esperanza is still on the table. There's a bunch of dams. It's all part of the, the nation's goal to become the energetic heart of South America. But we zoomed in on this Chipete Bala project in the Beni River Basin that would flood Madidi and Pilon Lajas national parks, which are incredible biodiversity hotspots. They're still discovering. Tons of species there every year. And these national parks are not only biological reserves, they're also indigenous reserves. So these are places where indigenous peoples have the constitutional right to determine their own development in that region. They have the say, they have the last say. That means the government can't impose projects there without permission from these communities. Now, what tends to happen or what has happened, the National Energy Company of Bolivia, who's been forwarding these dam projects, has been heavily criticized for the way that they have attained permissions from the communities. There's something called prior and informed consent, which is required that a company attain before implementing their project before even doing the studies for their project. So this company did not do that. They were doing studies um, before asking for consent. And then the reports that I've heard was that when they did ask for consent, what they did was go to communities, throw a big feast, a big party, tell them that they are going to bring development, that they're going to bring new housing, that they're going to bring health centers and um, electricity. And just say that they're going to bring development to these communities, sign here. Without saying, we are going to build a dam, without explaining what a dam is, without even using the word dam, but also without mentioning that you will be relocated this land that you're standing on will be flooded without mentioning any of that, you know? And and so what they've done in a lot of communities is we'll bring electricity here if you sign here. And so now some communities have electricity, but these are also the communities that are going to be flooded. If our only benefit is the electricity here that we're going to have until we're flooded, then look, that just makes no sense. You know, it's just so... It's just so criminal to me to to hear that. But that's also pretty standard.
0: So with all of this context about how river communities in Bolivia learn about mega hydro projects, and with the stories of how Haley has been to Bolivia, has met with these river communities, and the information about the collaborative trips she worked to organize with to Rivers, Haley went back to Bolivia in October of 2022 to run the Beni River again with a group of people from river communities across the Western Hemisphere, who have lost a river to a dam, or who are at risk of losing a river to a dam. From this trip in October of 2022 with Rios de Rivers in Bolivia, Haley is currently editing a short film on that river expedition. That film will publish this summer in 2023. You can keep up with the publishing by following Rios de Rivers and Haley on Instagram. Both links are available in today's show notes. Here, Haley explains who the members of the group were.
1: The Bolivian youth who came on our trip were from the different communities. We tried to get as many uh, communities represented as we could in our little cohort. Uh, That was difficult for several reasons. One, because the communities that are closer to town have more resources. Some of these communities are so remote that maybe they don't speak Spanish or they don't have a cell phone so we can't reach them. So that would mean someone would have to go travel eight hours upstream to give them a message. And so it's just logistically very challenging to get people from the very remote communities. But also the kids that we're really targeting here too are people who are interested in becoming stewards and or River guides or kayakers or rafters. So anybody who's interested in that, we really wanted on the team. And another challenge for us was we tried so hard to have a gender balance. Just logistically, people live far away. They don't have transport. We tried to get a couple kids from Brazil, but because of the floods, they couldn't come. Even with the planes, even with a bus, it wasn't possible. The roads were complete mud. It would take four days for them to get out. A lot of the girls who, who we thought were going to join us ended up having family obligations. They had to take care of children. The communication is really challenging down there within communities. If you don't have a cell phone and there isn't a cell tower, then you're out there. You're really out there. That was a challenge. And When all was said and done on the whitewater portion of, of the trip, we only had one Bolivian youth female. And she rocked it. And she was a badass. And she paddled harder than anyone. And she was so stoked and dedicated and just had a constant smile on her her face. So, you know, we were just grateful to have one. (laughs) So on the Bolivian side, we had kids from probably six or seven different communities. We also had park guards with us, guards who I'd trained in Swift Water Rescue and Lorenzo had trained in rafting back in 2018. Since then, they went to Chile to get their river guiding, raft guiding cert- certificates. And I, I really see them as being kind of the motors for for developing kind of whitewater culture in Bolivia. And, and they're awesome guys and really solid, you know, fide jungle people where they know everything. They know every plant. They know the animals. They know all the bird calls. They're really good survivalists. And then from the U.S., we had a little student of mine, Naomi, who runs the Columbia Gorge Junior Kayak Club. We also had Paul Wilson, who's from the Klamath tribe, who also he's chief storyteller for Rios to Rivers. We had Len Nesifer from the Navajo tribe. And that was important to us, too, is to have people from different rooted river communities too, who are experiencing different things. You know, the Klamath tribes are looking towards the dam removal in 2024, and that's after 100 years of of watching their river diminish and, and decline in and, and health and food source, and to really be looking forward to that and to share those lessons and those perspectives with community members in Bolivia who are facing the damming of their river right now, Melissa DeMarie, who runs California Water Sport Collective, was our head coach for the pack rafting and kayaking. And, you know, she was incredible having her there. And so that's kind of the U.S. and Bolivia. And then we also had really amazing people from Chile. Fernanda Puran is Peuenche Mapuche, and she's the Chilean director of Rios to Rivers, and she also runs the Mapuche women's rafting team. She comes from the Biobio River, which is dammed, and they're still fighting dams there. So having this network and community of people who are at different stages uh, with their river is just amazing, the lessons that can be shared. And so she came to co-direct the program, and her younger brother, Ricardo, also came. Having them was amazing. And then my film crew is great too. Zanotti, who's from Chile, and Miranda Stoppel, who's from the U.S. and who taught with me at at World Class. We also had another youth from the Marañón River in Peru, Pedro, and the Marañón also faces dance, but he and his community also face a, a lot of petroleum exploration, and so he is a very outspoken indigenous activist who, you know, who has seen a lot of hardship and and just very enmeshed in defending human rights and um, Mother Nature's rights. And he's also an incredible musician and rapper. And so it was amazing to have kind of all of that energy together on the river. It just felt so special to witness this program as a laying of a foundation that can really move forward. And I think for us just seeing like, where do the kids want to take it? Where do the youths want to take it? Where do they see the most potential with a program like this? If they were to design it, like what would it look like? You know, obviously we have our ideas from the Rios to Rivers, what we've been doing for a long time, but also just seeing like, what's going to be genuinely impactful to them and how can we really be allies in helping bring that to fruition?
0: If you recall, the intro into this episode was a long read of a powerful life that today's guest has followed. While Haley was doing the planning for the Bolivian expedition with Rios to Rivers, she was also living in England, attending Oxford University to gain her master's degree in water science, policy, and management. This is most typically a program for people looking at the engineering side of rivers, the dam building side of rivers, Haley believed that she could learn a lot about dams and their purpose and value by attending this program at Oxford, so she did it. I asked her if she felt it was a valuable educational experience.
1: One thing I really got out of it was was meeting a lot of incredible people, people who were just interested in so many different things, you know, that had nothing to do with what I was doing. I was kind of surprised that I was almost like one of the only ones who was really involved in river conservation. I don't know why. I somehow thought that water science policy management, to me, just screams river conservation. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of my peers were coming from, you know, they were environmental consultants. A lot of them were engineers. A lot of them had never really known that there was anything contentious or controversial about dams. In fact, I remembered one of my colleagues telling me, like, after I, I think I showed the Still River Silent Jungle film there, and, and my friend said, oh, I never knew there was anything wrong with dams, but I've designed them before. I've built them. <laughs> and being like, wow, okay, there's, like, how interesting <laughs> that someone who's building the dams might not be well-versed on the, the those impacts or, like, the reasons why maybe maybe we shouldn't build dams here. But going to oxford what i really appreciated about it was that it forced me to be very critical about my own perspective too and really look at all sides and i think i went into the program thinking hydropower is bad we're killing our rivers there's no excuse for it like we should be just doing alternatives and i think i came out of the program being like okay i'm still against a large majority of it but one now I, I would say like, okay, I can see where in certain places hydroelectric development is probably the least impactful way to go. And then two, just realizing if it's a hydroelectric project just for hydroelectricity, it's like, okay, I like I'm I'm really on the river side. And then when it comes to something like water consumption as well, it just becomes a huge mess of well, how, how do we sustain our human population? You know, example, I'd love if like the Hoover Dam could come out and stuff. And then it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> that reservoir holds the whole river's volume in there. What would happen if that was taken out? Would the river restore? Would society collapse? You know, those 40 million, however many million people depend on that, what would happen? And, and that's a solution. I don't, you know, I don't have a solution for that.
0: The Beni River in Bolivia is the focus of a lot of Haley's work today, and the Beni is a jungle river, meaning it is flowing through forests that have dense vegetation at the ground level, and the trees typically have dense vegetation canopies. Further, these jungle regions are warmer year-round, fostering continuous growth of vegetation. Haley explains a couple of the significant problems with building large-scale dam projects in the Amazon jungle.
1: Hydroelectric projects in the Amazon are extremely negative. You know, you're destroying ecosystems. You're also emitting tons of methane by rotting all that vegetation, releasing all that methane from the vegetation into the atmosphere. You know, the Beni River is the highest sediment tributary to the Amazon. So all that mud and dirt and minerals that are being dragged from the Andes down through the river and ultimately to the ocean, that sediment is a dam's worst enemy. That sediment builds up behind it and then you lose that hydraulic head, that function of volume over height. And now with the gold mining and the release of mercury and other contaminants from gold mining operations with a reservoir, you're going to be creating a factory for methylated mercury, which is the extremely toxic form of it that causes that mercury poisoning in people and is already causing that mercury poisoning so communities that are upriver are going to be probably in in more intensely contaminated because of the fish that they eat or they're going to have to stop eating fish but even now they're doing studies with how that mercury mercury comes into plants and animals even chickens and all around the food chain and also in the air There is a very strong common consensus now that mega-hydroelectric projects, particularly in biodiverse, heavily vegetated regions, are disproportionately and very negatively impactful on peoples, on ecosystems, on geographies.
0: Our world's human population reached 8 billion in 2023. This increased population uses more electricity, And the damming of a river for hydropower can provide fairly stable electric production. Because there are many successful dams in the world, many world governments quickly move to dams as their fast and easy method to upscale their electric capacity. Haley talks through some of these global dam projects.
1: Right now, the International Energy Agency says that we need to double our hydroelectric capacity by 2050 if we're going to reach net zero they're suggesting that we build as many dams or as much hydroelectric capacity in the next 30 years as we have in in the last 100. And for the most part, all the good, you know, quote-unquote good dam sites are pretty much taken, except for a select few that are extremely massive. So you have plans to build dams on the Congo River, A dam that would have the installed capacity, I think, twice as big as the Three Gorges Dam. Three Gorges Dam, you know, the studies that came out even before it was built said a reservoir this size will have the ability to change the rotation of the earth. And now we want to build projects that are two times bigger than that or three times bigger than that. The Grand Inga Hydroelectric Project on the Congo, I think that's twice as big as the Three Gorges Dam. The Brahmaputra, that huge super dam that they want to put on the Brahmaputra, I think that's three times bigger than the Three Gorges Dam. So, you know, we're moving at a pace right now that's just, it's these huge, just astronomically huge projects that are having huge impacts that we can't even comprehend, we can't even predict all of those impacts before they happen and, and these projects are purely for hydroelectricity, I should say. It's not for water supply. And in addition to that, like it, it's scary to think that we're building things on the scale for electricity, potentially trading off clean water and our our freshwater resources. So you know, people will say, well. Hydroelectricity is green because it's renewable. The water comes back, it rains the whole hydrological cycle. That's the point. It rains, it goes down the river, it goes to the ocean, evaporates, it rains at the headwaters again. Great. What isn't renewable are these healthy river ecosystems, which are complete and holistic systems that move together and dams disrupt that and put enormous pressure on water systems that are already stressed so at a time when we should be taking care of these water systems, really ensuring that they're able to do their ecosystem services, that they're able to carry out these ecosystem services that are so valuable to us, this is the time when we're also kind of destroying anything that's left or putting extreme stress on rivers that are already extremely stressed. And, and those are the type of projects where I think there are so many alternatives to.
0: So what, what are the replacements for that? electrical generation?
1: That's a great question. What are the alternatives? If you're not going to build this big dam here, what's what are you going to do? And I think it's important to first ask, why are we building these huge mega hydroelectric dams? The proposals for a lot of these dams are based on these global projections, but oftentimes when they're building them, they don't always have a demand for that energy yet. They just assume that there's going to be demand in the future without securing that demand. And also those projections are kind of arbitrary geographically too. You know, if you're building dams in Bolivia and you're trying to send that electricity to Brazil, that's 1,000 miles of transmission lines. You're going to lose 50% of your energy. And these projects, are never as efficient as you think they're going to be. You, You think about Bolivia, there are studies that show that they can reach all of their energy needs, all of their energy desires with solar and that would be much closer to La Paz, which is the capital. That high plains up there, it has the highest solar power potential pretty much in the world. You know, the Andes and the Himalayas have the highest solar power potential. So there's been a study that shows you can generate the same amount of electricity with solar.
0: So you know, Bolivia is an interesting place to let be kind of the, the base for this conversation around hydropower for solar being an option. One of the the components that then becomes part of this electric conversation, the electrical car movement, the electrical tool movement, which all means battery storage, and then that comes into this situation with um I forget the natural resource that is mined in Bolivia that is a huge component for batteries lithium, so is it lithium, and then there's all the chatter around energy production that that people feel like. What's needed to create solar panels and what's needed to create batteries is often overlooked. Like defaulting over to solar. Solar has its own problems. Wind, that has its own problems. I mean, all of these other power sources have their own problems.
1: What you're talking about is this new wave of green mining, this extraordinary amount of mining that we need to do if we're going to transition to things like solar and wind and and it does go back to hydro because it's like, are we building these dams to generate electricity for these mines that are digging up lithium or digging up copper or, or these other minerals? It, it's all part of it. It is so important to know that it is all connected. There was another study about diversifying energy in Bolivia, and that's way more feasible and achievable and cheaper and more profoundly beneficial to Bolivia, too, because it would actually be connecting these interconnected systems or these isolated electrical systems. So so a really good friend of mine who is also in my program at Oxford, he's from Peru, and he focuses solely on these green minerals and and the issues with mining these green minerals, like the lithium, the copper, the silicon, the nickel, the cadmium, whatever it is, all of that is something that needs a much more critical view and I'm not the expert on that. For me, the solution is thinking critically about how to cultivate resilience, genuine resilience in a given region. So that that solution for that region is going to be different. Bolivia has these huge stores of lithium, and there's been this hope that that was going to be a huge financial boom for Bolivia, too. And it hasn't worked yet. It hasn't worked. There's a lot of pushback from it. Every energy source that you have is going to have an impact. My Peruvian friend, he would talk a lot about these sacrificial zones, zones that are sacrificed, quote unquote, So say a section of rainforest might be sacrificed to extract something that would go into these clean energy power plants. And so we're sacrificing this natural zone to create green energy for the rest of the world. But at what point is it worth sacrificing that zone versus keeping that mineral in the ground and it is a very complex conversation and i think it needs to be everything is going to have an impact it's up to us to to really think critically about what is the least amount of negative impact we can produce in a certain region what's the most appropriate energy source and not just build huge structures in the States, we've we've dammed up everything. And now we're realizing, wait, we need these rivers. We're, we want to restore them. And how can countries who maybe haven't made that development leap yet, who are on the threshold of saying like, oh, well, we want to develop too. We want energy. We want to be able to have laptops and have them plugged in. How can those countries avoid making the same mistakes we did? And I think there's a huge opportunity right now to achieve the goals that regions and nations want just by making better decisions and without sacrificing rivers as one. What stands out to me about hydropower development is that it is gambling with a resource that we so critically need right now. In my view, we need to be restoring rivers, period.
0: You have paddled on several continents and... You've run into dams and met hydropower and met mining and mercury and all these communities facing real challenges and these communities living in beautiful places. You've done these films. It seems that your work centers focuses around rivers. That's pretty obvious from our conversation. Extracting all that away and just like letting that peel back. For you, as Haley Stewart, just this, just your person, you said you as a kid. Always felt really connected to nature, to animals, kind of a spiritual connection. I've heard you mention soil, and I think you don't just mean the dirt and the earth, but the, the place of root and connection, all that. And just as you, what is what is your what is your relationship with rivers?
1: It's so funny. I think going to New River Academy and being on the Ottawa and just saying, "Wow, I could." be with rivers around and on rivers (laughs) every day you know and and just that just sounded like the most beautiful idea in the world to me and I I really came into it from a very spiritual and and just connected with nature place and it was kind of hilarious to me to also go to New River Academy and 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 (laughs) see this totally other side of it where it's like this broy GoPro like shit, man, you know, the Manknar, Brown Stout <laughs> church and like all of uh, you know, this whole other side of it that was so broy. And I was like, <laughs> I found it really hilarious because I was like, wow, I was so didn't expect this. <laughs> um, and 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 it was great too. And it was, you know, so much so much energy. Um, but I think for me, it it always has been kayaking first and foremost has, has been extremely nourishing and, and also a place where I can really push myself and um, physically and emotionally too, because you're dealing a lot with when, when you are pushing yourself athletically and kayaking, you are grappling a lot with fear and mental blocks and emotional blocks and I think in kayaking, it, it's really unique. And I, I noticed with myself too, my ebb and flow of, of energy with the rivers is um, can be related a lot to my, my mental and emotional state and also my physical fitness too. And it's just been a, a place of growth for me. Um, yeah, growth and connection. And I'd say when I feel the most connected to the rivers and when I can be on the rivers all the time is is really when I feel, um, the most confident, uh, the most myself, the most connected with people around me, um, the most in myself for, for sure. And so, um, and I think what I love about rivers is I'm, I'm also a dancer and I love dancing. I love partner dancing and, um, and solo dancing. But with rivers, I find it, it so translates because you have to follow the river's moves. and if you don't if you're not following the river, then and, and like moving in accordance to what the, the river's doing it's like you can't fight it, you can't overpower it. you need to you need to move with it. you need to go with the flow and you need to go with that energy and and so for me when when i feel in sync with my paddling and um going down the river it really feels like i'm dancing with the river and it really feels like you're almost emulating the river you know what is it like to be water going over a waterfall what is it like to fall and and go over these rocks it's i mean it's the coolest feeling so that's my relationship with the river and and it's it's like anything i think it's a practice and just the more time you spend with it the better it gets
0: Haley, i really appreciate your time thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast and and talking with us
1: thanks so much sam yeah i I super appreciate it and, and for taking the time and and the interest too
0: A Benny Riverside thank you goes out to Haley Stewart for joining us on the podcast. Today's advertising sponsor is Jack's Plastic Welding. You can find web and Instagram links for Jack's Plastic in the show notes. In today's show notes, you can also find so many links to various information about Haley Stewart's work, her email, her Instagram, a link to one of her films and her TEDx talk. And you can find a link to Amazonian River Alley's Bolivia, the organization that Haley started, and links for World Class Academy and the Ottawa Kayak School. And finally, there are links for Rios to Rivers. Our social media is built by Samantha Seiss. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius.
1: Also, I do get nervous on these things, so I'll probably warm up after a bit, but I usually start pretty slow. Gotta get in the flow. I'm gonna get some tools. This bro GoPro, like, sit the McNar brown stout <laughs> church. Get some tools <laughs> that are useful. Hunting for treasure. Feeling like I needed more tools. Um, I don't know if that answered your question at all. I forgot what your question was.